Let's pray together. In Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Father, we thank you this morning that Father, that we know because of your word, because of your son, Lord, because of uh, particularly the season we've now entered into of Advent and preparing for Christmas. Father, we thank you this morning that we know who the worthy one is, that his name is Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that, that you so loved this world that you gave us your one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, repent of their sin, and trust him as Savior would receive the gift of eternal life. Father, we would receive the gift of a changed heart a new beginning, a fresh start, and, and of eternity, Father, in heaven with you, apart from the troubles and trials of this earth that, that do, in fact, challenge each and every one of our lives. Father, we thank you this morning that we serve a worthy Savior. We thank you that we serve a living Savior, one who has walked where we've walked and felt what we've felt. Your word says he has been tested and tempted in every way as we are, and yet he never sinned. And that's why we can run to him as a refuge, as an anchor of hope, and Father, through all of our songs and, and all of our speaking and all of our scripture reading and all of our testimony and all the things we're doing here today, Father, we, we want one thing to happen by the time we're done today, and that's to have looked to the face of Jesus, to have remembered and focused our attention on Jesus. Father, we believe the words that we, we sometimes sing here, that when we turn our eyes upon him and we look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth, they don't go away, they don't hurt less, but they grow strangely dim because of your glory and because of your grace. Father, because we have a hope, a sure and certain anchor for the soul whose name is Jesus. And so, Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, we invite, uh, Lord, you to be our teacher. Father, I've got things you've put on my heart to say. We've, we've got a passage of Scripture we're going to study, and all those are important things. Father, we believe in the centrality and the importance of preaching your word. Father, but we simply do it as a mechanism not to hear one man expound on his opinions on a certain text, but because, Father, in the Scriptures, Jesus is revealed to us. And we pray that you would reveal him to us in a powerful and a fresh and a poignant way this morning. Father, that we would not leave unchanged, that we would not leave carrying the heavy burdens that we, that we brought in with us. Father, not because you took them all away, but because we realized we weren't supposed to carry them in the first place. We were supposed to lay them at the feet of Jesus. So Father, we pray for your help to do that right now. We know we need the Holy Spirit to do that right now, and so we invite him at this time, as we always do, to come and guide us in truth to guard us from error, to deliver us from distractions, and to help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see the Lord Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching of your word. May we see the Lord Jesus only this morning in the preaching of your word. And Father, when we leave in a while, as we step back out into the world with its joys and its sorrows, Father, may we leave with fresh hope, renewed joy, and confidence, Father, that all will be well because you are on your throne. You are worthy. Father, it is Jesus we love. It is Jesus we seek. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, as all God's people said together like they mean it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're taking your seats, we will, as always at this time, allow the boys and girls, whoever they may be this morning, to be dismissed for Children's Church. So if you've got 
Little ones who are five years old on up to second grade, they can make their way out as we make our way in to the Scriptures. If you have a Bible, for those of you who are remaining, I want you to take it out and get hold of it, uh, however you have brought it with you this morning, and meet me in the Scriptures in the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 61. I want you to turn in your Bible and meet me in Isaiah 61, where as you can see on the screen behind me, we are beginning, and I'll talk all about this, I'll get it all set up for us momentarily, but we're beginning a new brief series of studies together in God's Word, meant to prepare our hearts for this Advent and Christmas season. As you're making your way there and we're settling in, let me just say it's really good to have people in the house again this morning. Uh, the, the, the eight of us were tired of singing by ourselves. You were probably tired of singing by yourself uh, in your living room or, or, or wherever it was you were watching in. It is just good. And I could tell as you're coming and making your way in this morning that you're glad to see each other as well. We are we are created by God for relationship. We are created, and he has called us to be a family, and it's good when our family's together. So I hope you are, uh, if nothing else good happens this morning, simply grateful for the fact that God is allowing many of us to begin gathering together. And for those of you who aren't here yet, we are thinking of you, we love you, and we know a day is going to come when you're with us soon as well. But one thing, the one thing that can knit all our hearts together, near or far, is the Lord Jesus the Holy Spirit, and by going together to His Word. And in just a moment, I'm going to read for you the passage uh, that we're going to be in this morning. But let me set up where we're headed, uh, both this morning and in the next couple of times uh, to come that we're going to be together, by saying that if the old expression, the old saying, that was, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, if that old saying really is true, I have a thought for your consideration this morning, and it is this this. If it really is true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, we ought to this morning be in the best shape of our lives. Most of us here this morning should be in the very best shape of our lives, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We ought to be thriving like we never have before. Because as everybody knows, and you've been hearing it now for months, 2020 has been a very, very hard year. Some of you here this morning might say the hardest. Or at least the hardest that you can recall in recent memory. But what's the truth this morning? What's the reality of the situation this morning? Well, the reality, whether we like it or not, is this, that as we have gathered here this morning, most of us aren't in great shape. Most of us are far from the best physical, emotional, relational, spiritual shape of our lives. Quite to the contrary, many of us here this morning are exhausted. Many of us here this morning are emotionally spent Many of us here this morning are sitting, so to speak, with fingers crossed that, that 2021 can't be worse than 2020, <laughs> or can it? And that is why, as followers of Jesus Christ, which is, again, what binds us together this morning, our shared faith and devotion to Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ this morning, what we must remember before we go any further is that whatever the future holds, whatever the days, weeks, months, whatever the year to come holds in store, there is a hope, listen to me, 
There is a hope in which you and I can live all the days of our lives, each of the day days of our lives, and that is a hope revealed to us as clearly as anywhere in the true Christmas story. There is a hope we can live in every day of our lives. That hope is revealed in the true Christmas story, and that is why in an effort to encounter that hope in a fresh way, to encounter that hope in, a, in, a, in probably a much-needed way, what we're going to do the next three times we're together, this morning, next Sunday, and culminating when we gather on Christmas Eve, is we're going to dig into three prophetic messages by God's servant Isaiah. Three messages God's servant, the prophet Isaiah, spoke about Jesus, get this, nearly seven centuries before he showed up as a baby in the little town of Bethlehem to come and be our Savior. Three prophecies that Isaiah spoke on the Lord's behalf. But before we get rolling, let me say this. Let me say a couple of things before we actually dig into the first of them. And, and one of the things I want to say is that I do understand, despite everything that I've said so far, despite what I have set up as far as what the past year has been, at the same time, I understand that 2020 has not been all bad for all of us. Right? Many of us, despite all the hardships and trials and challenges we can look back and, and, and take account of, many of us can also look back and say, God has been exceptionally kind to me this year as well. That in his grace, God has done good things for me. Some of those good things God has done for you came out of the bad things that were happening in the first place, because so often that's the way that God works. Not all of 2020 has been all bad for all of us. I also recognize in a, an entirely different sense that some of us here this morning have suffered uniquely personal hardships. That there are some things you've gone through that the rest of us haven't gone through. That the rest of us, even the people sitting around you this morning, can't necessarily identify with. And I believe that, that what we see in these next three studies has the potential to minister God's comfort to you if that's your story here today. But what's going to shape, or at least what we're going to, to do, what we're going to tie together with these three prophecies from Isaiah, what we're going to do together over these next three times is we are going to, to, to look at them in the light of three trials all of us have shared this year. There are, I believe, three shared trials that in one way or another, maybe in a little way, maybe in a great one, have touched each and every one of our lives. If not directly, we felt the ripple of them. And fortunately for me this morning, all three of them begin with D because I'm a preacher and they've got to all begin with the same letter. We have three shared trials that all begin with D. We're going to use one as the touch point for each of these three messages. The first one, if you want to know where we're going, is this. It is disease. And that is, of course, the disease called COVID-19. We're going to talk about that in light of God's word this morning. The second one, you may be able to guess, is derecho, the storm that shredded our city, that impacted all of us, most of us in very significant ways. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to dig into what the scriptures have to say, what the story of Christmas has to say about what I would term a just an all-pervading sense of despair that has been spawned in our lives and in our culture and in our homes by months of isolation, of separation, of disruption, of not normal. 
There is a sense of despair that is encompassing our culture. And I believe it's touched all of us in significant ways. Three prophecies that speak to the three common trials that we've all been going through because of the message of Christmas. So the reason we're going to do that is this, is because the message of Christmas is, as you can see on the screen behind me, as I took from one of the most memorable Christmas carols of all, the fact of the matter this morning is this, that in the dark streets shineth an everlasting light. There is a light. There is a hope. There is something that we can run to, and it's called the gospel. And my prayer starting this morning, is that as we go about seeking this light together, pursuing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ together, here's my hope and prayer for you, that the truth of the gospel and the joy of the gospel is going to reinvade your heart. Or maybe for some of you, invade it for the first time because you've never truly grasped it before. I believe not because I have great things to say, but because God's word has great things to say, our hearts can be changed in the span of these three gatherings together even if our circumstances aren't. There are things in God's word for us this morning. And so to that end, and and with the first shared trial of COVID-19 in view, I want to look together, I want to invite you to look together with me at Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, where if if, if you'll follow along with me, this is what the word of God says. Isaiah is writing, again, he's writing prophetically, and this is The prophecy he was given. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. Giving them a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, even though Isaiah wrote those words nearly 3,000 years ago, and even though he wrote them 700 years, as I already said, in advance of the birth of Jesus, I would like to say to you this morning, and what I'm going to show you in the rest of our time together this morning, is that those 3,000-year-old words are surprisingly relevant to us in this year of worldwide suffering and pandemic. And, and the reason I know that is because, for one thing, this is the first of three big things we're going to look at this morning. What these three verses in Isaiah's prophecy do is they affirm that the world we inhabit is marked by at least three things. In these three verses, Isaiah says the world we inhabit is marked by at least three things, the first of which is suffering. The world we live in is marked by suffering. Looking into your Bible in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, what I want you to note there is how in very few words, less than a sentence, in fact, in the original Hebrew, all three of these verses were just one sentence, so in less than even a portion of of a fraction of this sentence, what Isaiah has done is he has encompassed in what we just read the entire, the whole of, of internal and external suffering and pain. 
Any kind of pain and suffering is wrapped up in what he said here. Because look at what look again at the words. To bring good news to the afflicted. That is a, a reference to external affliction, be it physical or, 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 or external in some other way. And then he says, and to bind up the brokenhearted. That's internal suffering. That's a grief of heart and spirit that we often go through. And what Isaiah is telling us is that whoever this anointed one is, whoever this promised Messiah proves to be, guess what? He's going to know how much life on this planet hurts. He's going to step into it, to the whole of external and internal suffering and pain. Isaiah acknowledges, number one, the world we inhabit is marked by suffering. Secondly, he notes in the rest of verse 1, that the world we inhabit is also marked by seclusion. It's marked by seclusion. If you prefer, you could say isolation, because that's exactly the idea here. Look again at the last half of verse 1. He sent me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners. Now, In its most immediate fulfillment, what Isaiah was talking about there is he was prophesying something that was was in Israel's not-too-distant future, and that was a captivity. As discipline for sin, some of you know this story, as discipline for generation after generation of sin and rebellion, God told them, I'm going to send in another empire, the Babylonians, and they are going to destroy your land, and they are going to overthrow you, and whoever they don't kill in the land of Israel, they're going to take back to Babylon, and you're going to stay there for 70 years. And this is a form of discipline. And he's saying, listen, that's going to happen, but there's also going to be Release from that. That's the most immediate reference to the prophecy here. But it undoubtedly, when Isaiah, when God prompted Isaiah to write these words, he was anticipating a whole lot more than that besides. Because as you read through your New Testament, what you discover is that time and time again, metaphors appear, imagery appears, describing our, as human beings, our slavery to sin, our captivity to wickedness. The fact that we are in bondage to sin, and and we are addicted to sin, and we cannot break the chains of it ourselves. And that what it does is it isolates us, and it separates us, and it restricts us, and it keeps us from living the way God designed us to live. The world we inhabit, it is marked by suffering. It is marked by seclusion. And then thirdly, and you don't need me to tell you this, but I will anyway, the world we inhabit, Isaiah says, is marked by sadness. The world we inhabit is marked by sadness. Verse 2, he's coming to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Now, one of the things we've learned over the years of studying the Bible together is that in the scriptures, repetition equals emphasis. That when something is repeated, God wants us to pay attention. And I don't know if you noticed it, but in the verse and a half I just read, there's a word that appeared three times. It is the word mourning. Not, yay, it's morning, the sun came up, but mourning, sadness, sorrow. Why does he mention it three times? Because whether they are tears of of loneliness or of brokenness 
or of bitterness, life in this world will make you cry. Life in this world will make you cry. And you know, while 11 months ago, pandemic, to some of you, was just the name of a board game, and, uh, and to the rest of us, it was something that happened a long time ago in galaxies far, far away. Now that we've been living in one, and we continue to be living in one, well, we know what a pandemic is like firsthand. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that in a myriad of ways that I'm not going to get into here, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of the virus and and all the other stuff that came with it, except to say this, living in the midst of a pandemic for almost a year has brought suffering and seclusion and sadness to our attention and upon our hearts in profound ways. And in pointed ways, and in heretofore unexperienced ways. Isaiah is reminding us of something, and he's saying, God knows it well. Our world is marked by suffering and seclusion and sadness. That's the bad news. The good news is that's not all Isaiah said. Because what I want to show you next is that in the span of those same three verses, as he is prophetically speaking of this as yet unknown Messiah, the one who was still not yet to come for 700 years, we, of course, know that his name is Jesus. But what Isaiah, what God also prompted Isaiah to do is tell us in response to the way this world is that the Messiah was going to bring us three things as the answer. We've got three problems in this world, suffering, seclusion, and sadness. Isaiah says, secondly, the Messiah has answers, and the first of his answers is that he's going to bring us, get this, relief. That when the Messiah finally comes, when God's chosen servant comes, he will bring us relief. The other morning, earlier this week, I woke up with a crushing headache. I don't get these often. I don't know if it was a migraine. I I don't know if I I slept wrong or what exactly was going on. I knew I wasn't sick. I didn't have a virus. There wasn't any fever or anything like that. But it's one of those headaches that if you've ever had it, you know, as soon as you stand up, you just lay back down. Because if you don't lay back down, you will fall down. and, And it's just so bad. But three extra strength Tylenol and two hours of sleep later, I was good to go. I mean, that solved my problem. I thought for a moment I was going to die. Three hours later, I'm back at my desk, I'm getting my job done, and going on as if nothing happened. And while some of our suffering in life works that way, praise God, some of our suffering is literally momentary and light, and it's solvable. So much of our suffering in life isn't. What's momentary is relief. What's momentary is a break in the trouble, and then it comes back and goes on. But in verse 1, look at verse 1. What Isaiah said is somebody's coming who's going to change all of that. Someone's coming who's going to change all of that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Now, now Hebrew scholar Alec Mottier says that the word, the word I want you to focus on in verse 1 is, is to bind up. The Lord is sending this promised one to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, in a literal sense, in the original Hebrew, that word simply means to bandage, as you would expect. 
But what Mottier, who's a, a Hebrew scholar and expert, says is that the way in which it's used here, this word, it doesn't just mean you're going to wrap a bandage around it and you're good to go, but that, there, that it speaks of doing so in a way that, that ministers personally, personally ministers soothing and healing to the afflicted one. We're talking about a physician who cares. We're talking about a physician who's concerned. And, and when I read that, I immediately, my thoughts immediately went to Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, because that's exactly what happened in that parable. Jesus tells the story. The guy's traveling down the road, minding his own business. He's robbed. He's, he's attacked. He's beaten within an inch of his life. And along comes, after a while, the Good Samaritan, or the Samaritan who turned out to be good. And what does he do? Well, he, the, Jesus says it, he bound up the man's wounds, but then what did he do? He saw to it that he would be taken care of day and night until such as time as he could re return and make sure he finishes healing himself. He said, here's the money. Take care of him till I'm back. And, and what Isaiah declares here is, is listen, guys, somebody's coming who's going to bring this suffering world that kind of relief. He's going to bring it to the whole wide world, but he's also going to bring it personally to you. He knows where it hurts. He knows why it hurts. And he is going to personally, someday, bind up your wounds, heal your broken heart, take care of everything for which we suffer. The Messiah is going to bring us, number one, relief. Secondly, he says, in response to the seclusion, he's going to bring us release. Relief. And release. Now, I don't know, but maybe if you can think all the way back to March when all this chaos of the coronavirus began, maybe you sort of kind of welcomed the idea of sheltering in place for a while. I know a lot of people who did, right? Because what does it mean? Well, it means more family time. It means fewer commitments. It means I can say no to stuff and not feel guilty about it anymore, right? It, it, it means I can, I can take up a hobby or I can, I can get to that home remodeling project. I heard story after story that Menards and Lowe's were like busier than ever in the months of March and April because all these people with time on their hands are deciding we're going to get some stuff done and it's going to be great. I, I remember early on even saying to my family, and I don't even remember what they were anymore, but I'm like every day we're going to do A, B, C, and D and this is all going to be great. We're going to learn. I know it's going to last 11 months. At our house, I'm not sure it lasted 11 hours, that plan. But we had high ambitions, and, and, and there was something almost novel about it. Of course, if we weren't sick, I mean, if you're sick, it's a whole different story, but, but I'm saying there was something about it that's kind of new and different. And Now, let me ask you something. If you felt that way, how long did it last? Sooner or later, right, the newness wore off. The shine went away. The novelty died, and it was replaced in many cases, maybe not all of us, but in, in, in many cases, with just sort of a low-grade simmering angst from isolation, right? From online schooling, from Zoom fatigue, not to mention the, the more heartache-type issues of having to talk to your loved ones through a window pane. Some of you, I, I know I, we had... In our family, young people who just missed their entire high school graduation, no grad party, no prom, no ceremony, diploma in the mail, stuff that we look forward to and treasure 
taken away. And and I don't know about you, as this has worn on week after week and month after month, you know, the ancient biblical cry, how long, O Lord, how long, that resonates with me like it hasn't before. How long, O Lord. But, once again, Isaiah says the Messiah is coming. A Messiah is coming. Again, he didn't know who the Messiah would be. We certainly do. But Isaiah says in this passage, a Messiah is coming who's going to bring release from all of that restriction and then some. Again, look in your Bible at verse 1. He's going to bring good news to the afflicted. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim, everybody say, liberty to captives, and everybody say freedom, Freedom. to prisoners. He's going to bring liberty and freedom to God's people. As Ray Ortland writes in commenting on these verses, he says what, what Isaiah is trying to express to us here is that when Messiah comes, he's going to bring liberation to its fullest realization. We all like to celebrate freedom and liberty. We like the idea of of doing what we want and when we want and how we want. And and I think what what Isaiah wants us to know, what God wants us to know, is that that even the best taste of of freedom, of liberty that we've ever had pales in comparison to what Jesus is going to bring. Because it's not just going to be about getting to do what I want to do, when I want to do, how I want to do it. It means I'm going to be free from the inside out. He's coming to bring relief. He's coming to bring release. And then thirdly, Isaiah says, when Messiah comes, he will bring us rejoicing like we've never known before. Messiah is going to bring rejoicing. You know, when sadness, as I said earlier, comes our way as it it always does, I really think you're a rich person indeed if you've got one good friend or two good friends who will show up and they're not going to try to coach you through it. They're not going to Bible verse you to death. They're not going to tell you why it's, how it's all going to be. They just listen, right? They hand you the tissues to dry your tears. They tell you you're loved. You're going to be there. If you've got one person like that in your life, you're blessed. If you've got more than one, you are blessed. And then some. But again, what what Isaiah says is, well, the Messiah is going to do that, but he's going to do it one better. Because in verse 3, there is a a subtle, but I believe a very real progression that we need to take note of. So look in your Bible again at verse 3. Actually, I think the the NIV, I'm reading as usual this morning from the New American Standard, but the NIV probably renders verse 3, this progression, in in, in a clearer way because this is what it says. It says that when Messiah comes, he will... He will, quote, bestow a crown of beauty, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now that is references some sort of external, surface-level rejoicing. And then it says, and the oil of joy instead of mourning. Now mourning, that goes to grief of heart, right? It's not just that, that on the outside hurts and makes me sad, but something inside hurts and makes me sad. But then he doesn't stop there. Now the Hebrew suggests that when When Isaiah says that that this promised one is going to bring, again, as the NIV renders it, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, what he's talking about there is is the very intangible and and, and inexpressible, yet very real sadness many of us carry, that there's just nothing that this life can touch. 
You know, it's just that you carry it around. It's unique to you. And, 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 and as much as others love you, and can, they can't make it. There's nothing we can do to necessarily make it go away. But again, what Isaiah is saying is, is Messiah is going to come and replace all of that with rejoicing. That may be hard for you to believe this morning. It's hard for me to believe this morning. But he's going to do it. He's going to replace all of it with rejoicing. In a word, what Israel and through Israel and the rest of the world was promised here by Isaiah in Isaiah 61, in a word what he was promising us was hope. He's promising us hope, tidings of comfort and of joy to lost sinners and to hurting believers in every age, including ours. He's saying, listen, gang, I know what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. And guess what? There is an answer. There is a hope. There is a solution in our Savior. And the key, and this is the last thing I want to zero in on this morning before we're done, the key, of course, is knowing where to find it, right? It's one thing to say there's hope. It's one thing to say there's an answer. It's one thing to say there's a solution, but where is it? What I want you to know as we try to pull this all to a close is that the hope that Isaiah spoke of here is only found in one person, only found in one place, and it is secured, number one, got three more for you, okay? Number one, when we recognize who Jesus is. You want this hope that I'm talking about this morning? It begins by recognizing who Jesus is. To that end, I want you to hold your place in Isaiah 61. And very quickly, I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 4. Just grab your Bible right now. I want to hear the turning of pages and the swiping of cell phones. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Because where we're going here in Luke chapter 4... Jesus has been born, Jesus has been raised, he's been to the temple, and, and he's, he's been through his childhood. At the beginning of Luke chapter 4, he has his 40 days of temptation by Satan, uh, his 40 days of fasting and, and tempting by Satan in the wilderness, and then he comes out of that, and, and in Luke 4, beginning in verse 14, when all of that had been accomplished, this is how Jesus' public ministry began. Luke 4, 14, this is what the Bible says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet who? What's your Bible say? Isaiah. Isaiah. Hmm. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's the message? Jesus is the man. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And unlike the countless imposters who had arisen in Israel between Isaiah's day and the day of Christ, Jesus, you know what he did? He then went out and spent the next three years backing it up. 
Miracles and preaching and ministering and loving and and doing all the things that it said Messiah was going to do. He went out and spent three years proving it all the way to the cross, all the way through the empty tomb. And what I'm trying to say is this. If you want to secure the hope Isaiah spoke of here, you got to make that connection. You have to make it. Your mom and dad can't make it for you. Your godly wife can't make it for you. Only you can make it for you. Acknowledging that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's profile. Jesus is the Messiah. And then secondly, you got to place your trust in him. How do we secure this hope? We recognize who Jesus is and we place our trust in him. You know, I spoke earlier in the message about crossing our fingers that 2021 will be better than 2020. I was only half kidding because I think that's what most of the world is doing. Just hoping in some sort of hazy way, some sort of mystical, mysterious, indefinable way that when we turn the page of the calendar that, that everything is going to get better. But as Johnny Cash and Hank Jr. once sang, that old wheel's going to roll around once more. And when it does, it'll even up the score. That's what people want. That's what they mean by hope. But in prophetically pointing us to Jesus, again, I'll say it again, Isaiah's offering us something better. Because he says, look at your Bible, go back to Isaiah 61. He says in Isaiah 61, verse 3, that those who make this connection, who understand that Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, he says, and put their faith in him, they will, look at your Bible, end of verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Because here's the thing, even though the gift of salvation is intangible, You can't put it in a box and set it on your shelf and open it and show your friends, see, I'm saved, I have Jesus. You can't do that. It's intangible and invisible, but guess what? It's also real. It is solid. It is distinct. It is clear. Jesus said it himself in John 640, and when Jesus spoke, he didn't mess around. He said everyone, everybody say everyone. He said everyone who looks to the Son, to Jesus, and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that is a promise that both supersedes and sustains us through whatever life slings at us. It overrules, and it carries us through. Name your trial this promise, this truth. The hope of Jesus is greater. And knowing it, knowing it should compel us to do one more thing. And that is to go out and share it with others. Not because that secures it for ourselves, but because we want others to be secure in it too. And listen, just in case you're wondering, I'm not just throwing this point in because of evangelism shift, okay? I I actually really believe this is what we're supposed to do. Look again at verse 2. It says, when Messiah comes... He is going to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, it's it's not easy to tell on the surface, but as you put the pieces of the Bible together, what you realize is that, and Isaiah didn't know this, Jesus knew it, but Isaiah didn't, is that actually two distinct things are being spoken of in that verse, okay? Two 
distinct occasions. Look at your Bible, because when it says, when it says he is going to come, verse 2, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, he was talking about Christmas, okay? He was talking about Jesus' first advent, his first appearance on the planet, when he, in the course of that human life, secured the way of salvation for all of us. That is the favorable year of the Lord. We are living in the favorable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance of our God is different. That hasn't happened yet. That looks to what we call Jesus' second advent, or his second coming, when the offer of salvation expires forever. And those who refuse him are judged. See, Isaiah didn't know, but Jesus did. There are going to be two appearances. One of grace and then the other of finality. And our assignment in the meantime, given to us by Jesus himself, is to share that with as many people as we possibly can. To share the good news, the offer of salvation, the tidings of comfort and joy of Christmas with others while there's still time. And guess what? And I think you probably already know this, but it's oftentimes when life is hardest that people are most ready to listen and hear what we have to say. We must recognize who Jesus is. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you put your trust in him? Are you ready and prepared to tell somebody else about this hope that you found. The other night, as we were coming home from a ball game, uh, my wife and I were driving down one of the, the larger hills on the southeast side. It was 10 o'clock, and as we rounded the corner and started down the hill, we realized all of a sudden that we could see the lights of our city like we've never been able to see them before. And it's not just because all the leaves are gone, it's because all the trees are gone. And it was, it, it, it was kind of breathtaking. I just, I'd never seen our city like that before. And then a couple nights later, I was on the northeast side, coming down another big hill, saw the same thing from another angle. And, and it was astonishing, the lights of our city. And then it got me wondering, on Friday morning, as I was hammering out this message, the thought hit me, I wondered how many of those homes where the lights are back on, right? The roof has been patched. The fridge is full, and there's a three-year supply of Charmin in the pantry, all right? <laughs> in how many of those homes is there a complete absence of hope? No real hope. To think of it another way, on how many of our streets are, are the only shining lights, the ones that are being powered by a lion? It's an external light, but there's no no internal assurance. My, my hope, my prayer for me, because I need it first, but for all of us, is that by looking at this prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, well, first of all, remember how secure we are. That, that sooner or later, all will be well. Like really, really, capital W-E-L-L, well. And then we'll realize how badly those around us need it. Because the big idea this morning, the big idea of the message this morning is, listen, what everybody needs most this year is Jesus. What everybody needs most this year is Jesus. And we have the message for them. Father, I thank you this morning that you know every heart in the room.
Father, I thank you that you know what has brought us joy in the past year and what has brought us heartache. And Lord, in a particular way, as, as sort of has framed our conversation this morning, Lord, you, you know that this, this virus none of us saw coming has, has changed our lives. It's changed our world in some ways that just won't ever be the same again. And, and Father, it's just, a, it's just a really visible, enduring reminder of how much this world and everyone in it needs the Savior. Father, because a year from now it will be something else, and the year after that it will be something else. Father, our world is marked by suffering and isolation and sadness, but Jesus is the one who brings relief and rescue and hope. Father, many of us here this morning know Christ personally, and I pray that that something that has been said here has, has reaffirmed and, and strengthened that hope today, that we realize that we are, as Perry read for us earlier, we are standing secure in our Heavenly Father's hand. And Father, I pray because we are all going to be around people who are faking it this week. They don't have hope. Their hope in the next present or the next something is, is going to make it go away. Father, would you make us courageous, make me courageous to take the conversation another step, to to inquire, to listen, and to offer the hope we have because there's more than enough of it to go around. Father, I pray as always this morning that you take the things of truth we've looked at here and seal them up in our hearts and move them to our hands and feet and just cause all the rest to be forgotten so that we leave looking to and ready to speak of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.